Miss Evans on the beat, so tap in. You got options, but you better pass my class, no flopping. Gonna log in every day, every morning I'm watching. Yeah, we virtual and you know it's up, so we about to take it up a notch. Yeah, my role is the best, no comparing. Welcome to Perspectives on Social Justice, where we continue to give the world a voice. I am Lara Lane White, your host, and we are glad to be here today. Now, they say that education is the process of facilitating learning or the acquisition of knowledge, skills, values, beliefs, etc. They also say that education frequently takes place under the guidance of educators. However, learners have been challenged this year in many ways to educate themselves. The pandemic has challenges, uh, has uh, challenged various models of educational uh, methods, particularly online and in-person teaching. And now education systems across the country are debating the issue of mask wearing. So tonight I have some uh, unique authorities on education to talk about some of these uh, various uh, these various challenges. Um, we have uh, Dr. Andrea Lewis, who is the Education Department Chair at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. We also have um, Dr. Angela Strong-Green, who is the Distance Education Coordinator at Augusta Technical College. And we have the Reverend Velma E. Grant, who is the uh, who is a high school educator and happens to be the senior pastor of the uh, uh, the Flipper Chapel Amity Church in Fayetteville. Thank you, ladies, for being with us tonight. We're going to go straight into um, our discussion. And why don't we just start out? Let's just open up and just talk about what is your perspective thus far on reopening of the reopening of the schools uh, in the wake of the pandemic. And we we talked earlier in the year. I think we talked back in August. Uh, we checked back in with you, ladies. Uh, in, in December, and now we're at the end of uh, the school year. So I'm, I'm, we're excited to hear your perspective on things. Anybody? I think that the reopening of schools needs to be very planned out carefully in terms of not just safety, but the mental health of the students, especially students who have been virtual all year long whether that is, you know, P-12 students or college students. I think that we need to make sure that we are still following COVID parameters and mitigation efforts because COVID is still, it's still out here. It hasn't gone anywhere. So we need to make sure that students are still wearing their masks and taking safety precautions in terms of spacing, as well as putting in some social emotional learning efforts that have already been in place, but even ramping them up. Because again, those students who have been online for a whole entire year, even more than a year since March, 2020, um, I think we need to look at their mental health and put in some initiatives in the schools to ensure that our students are okay not only educationally, but also emotionally as well. Uh, 
I mean, to piggyback off of what you said, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that any plan to reopen schools at any level, whether it's, you know, P through 12 or higher education has to be comprehensive. And we, we can't take for granted that schools are absolutely, you know, cathedrals of learning, but they are also like socially functional within communities. They are resources to meet people's basic needs related to hunger and mental health care. And that as we think about these plans to reopen schools, part of that might really need to include reevaluating and restructuring curriculum, you know, for the many hardships that students have faced in this digital environment. So many of them have really acquired some skills that have allowed them to shine. You know, a lot of what we say when we talk about digital natives, students have been able to acquire that kind of skill set much earlier now than they normally would, which frees up some time and space in the curriculum to take care of some of those social and emotional needs that they have that may not have been met as we dealt with the pandemic. So I absolutely agree that, you know, these plans need to be comprehensive in how they look at opening things, but they also need to think about where can we restructure curriculum? What have people learned? What can we cut? What can we move into other areas? And, you know, is there any merit to things like uh, implementing year-round school and the years following the pandemic and the immediate years following the pandemic to make up for some of what's been lost? Amen. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Lewis and Dr. Strong Green. I certainly agree with everything that you said. I would also um, hope that the parents that, that would be considered, I would hope that the parents would have an input in regards to the reopening of the schools. And I'm not just talking about, you know, those affluent parents who are so gung-ho um, about having um their children not wear masks. I think we should also make sure that we listen to those parents um, who still would like to make sure that their their children are allowed to wear masks um, because despite the CDC's guidelines now, new guidelines that say that if you're vaccinated, then you don't have to wear masks. Um, we still don't know uh, what percentage of even teachers, if you will, or other individuals I have been vaccinated. And so if I had children in um, through 12, um, I would certainly uh, want to make sure that my voice is heard in terms of if my child, if I want my child to still continue wearing a mask, that the child would still have that opportunity to wear a mask, not be ridiculed or demeaned because of that decision. Um, another thing I hope that the authorities would consider, um, we know that some of our kids did not have access to technology like other kids. And so, of course, they might have fallen behind, they might have fallen off the grid. So what will our school administrators do to make sure that the technology that's required or necessary for uh, those kids who have been left behind uh, because of the lack of technology, that they will be applied adequate technology. Mm -hmm. and, and, and speaking of technology, um, so because we know that a lot of kids um, did not have access to computers as well as a stable internet um, link, we know that that's part of what's contributing to the, the lag. In when I say lag, I mean um, the, the progress. That, that kids would have made. Um, uh, 
how would how do you think that this will affect children in the long run? Like what what is their recovery time? Is there recovery time? Will they be able to recover or should we just just kind of um just do remedial? I mean, how does that how would that affect um how how would that affect how how educators should engage curriculum uh in the coming year and, and the summer? You know, I remember when there was an enormous discussion surrounding the, the the push to teach for test because of no child left behind legislation. And honestly, it transformed the way that education worked and the, the emphasis that we placed on standardized testing. And I certainly believe that the pandemic has done that as well in education, that on the other side of this, education can't and shouldn't and won't look the same. So we're very much stuck in kind of a system that's motivated by things that were happening at the, the turn of the century or in the early 1900s and this kind of industrialized model where we teach things like reading, writing, and arithmetic and where we group children based on the most important quality being their age. And that the pandemic has certainly proven that that is not the most important thing when we start structuring classrooms, that issues of equity matter, issues of access to uh, materials and physical space, like those things matter. And so on the other side of this experience, it would be just one of those things that was so momentum launching to be able to, instead of approaching the, the return from a place of remediation, to approach that from a place of equity, where we start to say, you know what, let's group these students together and give them the opportunity to access this technology and access additional support to help get them caught up to where their classmates may be and not call that remediation because it's not remediation, it's equity in education. It's ensuring that everybody has the access to the same resources. So, I mean, in a dream scenario, I hope situations like that happen, but I certainly hope that, you know, administrators and educators on the other side of the pandemic start discussions by thinking about how the most important thing about kids is not that they all physically live within a certain parameter of the school or that they all happen to fall within a one and a half year age range, that there are certainly way more important things that we need to think about and that we have to take into consideration after they've been apart so long. I agree with the equity and access piece. I think that's huge. Children are resilient, but you know many of the larger school systems were able to provide technology devices for students to be able to stay on track. But smaller school systems, especially in rural areas, were not. So I think that in terms of the equity and access piece, we need to ensure that those students who are not provided with technology and even Wi-Fi spots to access the student, the teachers work. We need to make sure that those children are provided for, and there probably needs to be a slower start and a heavy emphasis on review next academic year when school starts and, and not have the expectation that all students are going to be ready to perform on the same level. And so um, again, a slow, steady start to the school year, just to ensure that there is not a lot of the and not only 
the lag from the school year, but then we'll also be dealing with summer slide that is usual in any any school year. So those things will all need to be taken into account as we begin school in August or September. And as we, we as educators, um, you know, begin to get ready for the next school year, I'm certain that teachers already have an idea as to which which traditional push. And so if we start the new school year with that in mind, recognizing which students will need the extra push, the additional uh, push, and, and move towards that, I think it will benefit uh, the students as well. And not necessarily like uh, Dr. said, um, label, labeling it remediation. No, let's not do that because of course, you know, we don't want our kids to have any additional stigmas. Okay, we, we don't want them to feel as if they are less than, we don't even want them to feel that they are behind their classmates as well. So, you know, we'll keep in mind that this, this student might need some additional push, might need some additional help, and just gear ourselves uh, to move towards that. So we can, we can help the students because, you know, they've experienced so much. And while we as adults, um, you know, we do have or emotional issues as well, uh, but we can rally much more than these younger ones because for all of them, this is the first time that they have in, um, I guess, been in this situation. I mean, for us, yes, but we're adults. But then it's much more difficult for the kids. Um, you know, some of them thrive on that social interaction. Some of them will do much better in the social setting, uh, learn much better with their peers than they were uh, learning at home. So we just need to keep those things in mind as we uh, get ready for the new school year. Absolutely. Um, we do need to keep those things in mind. And I, I really do appreciate uh, what has been said about uh, educational equity, because that has been a long standing challenge, especially when we talk about social justice issues uh, in, in education is in particular going back to the, you know, the entire, um, you know, the, the separate but equal in education, going back to the Supreme Court ruling uh, and going back to uh, integrating uh, the, the uh, traditionally white schools. And so um, the, the, the issue exists even today. What can school systems do? How, how can we resolve that? the education, the equity and education problem uh, from you guys' perspective. How do we how do we resolve that? Especially, and I think it's very important that we that we be intentional, that school systems, I guess I'm answering the question myself, that, that school systems be very intentional, uh, especially now, uh, from a justice issue, to make sure that um, equity is uh, is is at the top, but how? What should school systems be doing? And then, what should our our um, our federal government be doing? Our Secretary of Education be doing? So, I think there are two answers to that question. And in my mind, the first is that they should be very intentional with federal funding. I mean, the CARES Act has provided for an enormous amount of money, and that money is not inherently meant to be spent in like systematic ways. It's not 
we developed this program, but it is to address immediate needs caused by the pandemic. So if you know that you have, you know, 20% of your population at your school didn't have access to Wi-Fi spots, your CARES money is to create Wi-Fi spots for those students and not necessarily to think about, hey, how do we find Wi-Fi and apply Wi-Fi for the entire school and for everybody at the school who may potentially need it? Start with those who need it so that they aren't falling further behind. And I think that that has to be very intentional and that it needs to be based on needs assessments and actually asking people what it is you need and listening to their response because you're going to find across the nation that what people need is very different and it's going to, you know, be based both on where they're at in their education journey and their life circumstance. So I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I think we we need to do, you know, I I do a lot of professional development at my uh, institution. And one of the things that I sort of sometimes do is I theme things. So like, this is going to be the year of service learning, or this is going to be the year of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I promise you 2022 needs to be the year of paraprofessionals, lab assistants, and teaching assistants, because creating these communities of equity and, you know, helping to close these gaps cannot be just an educator's responsibility. They can't be teaching in the virtual and face-to-face environment without any support. And we have to remember that, yes, educators are an important part of the system, but there are also support staff for educators having lab assistants to help students, having teaching assistants that are available to help run some of these programs that can close those skills gaps, I think is going to be vitally important and honoring those roles, not thinking of paraprofessionals as people who couldn't make it in teaching, but thinking of paraprofessionals as a very important and vital part of the education community that helps to close these kinds of gaps is going to be important in you know, helping us to get to where we're going on the other side of this. And, and here's what I would say as well. Um, we have to hold the superintendents accountable because we have to make sure that the superintendents of the school districts, that they're looking at the south side, they are looking at the north side, east and west, and that they are not just allocating funds just to the affluent area. Uh, so they have to embrace equity as well. Um, hold the school board accountable. Uh, that's why we we elect them, right? So that they can represent us adequately. And of course, hold the principals accountable. If you know that your school is missing resources, then you have to be an advocate for your school. And of course, we have to hold the parents accountable as well. If something is missing from your school, your child needs additional resources, then you have to be the advocate for your child. So, you know, we have to hold each other accountable from the top to the bottom, because that's the only way that we can make sure that all our children are receiving the resources that they need. Another word that I would use beside intentionality and accountability would also be creating opportunities and making sure that the school systems are creating intentional opportunities for students, whether that be through extended learning programs, Um, or even further clubs and organizations that the students missed who were virtual in the previous year, but just being intentional about opportunities and learning communities and learning environments that the children will be engaging in next year as well. So all of those things, I think, answer your question, intentionality, accountability, and opportunities. 
right. You definitely need to hold those persons, especially the elected officials, accountable um, for doing what they need to do. Uh, and then on a on a federal level, you guys, we, we talked to you. You spoke a little bit about uh, what to do on a local level. Uh, but I think that, you know, we we've just elected a new um, administration and we have received a new a brand new uh, chief of education, uh, which is a far more qualified. If I can put my two cents in far more qualified person uh, to uh, to be the chief of uh, the secretary of education than the last uh, uh, person on the administration. What should they Thank be you, doing? G on the uh, I know right <laughs> okay uh what should they be doing on a federal level I mean I have my own opinions but I'd love to hear from from you guys on that money sending money to the school systems you know schools need more than just state funding to operate and thrive especially in impoverished areas so if the federal government could send forth more funds for initiatives and not necessarily, you know, that are tied to testing and assessment, but funding to help with community resources and the mental health of students. I think that all of those things, in addition to curricular decisions, that extra funding would go a, a long way in assisting the students, especially to recap some of that learning that may have been missed during pandemic learning. I also think that investments in infrastructure really matter. And I don't inherently mean in, you know, building larger classrooms so that, you know, students can actually socially distance. I also mean in thinking about building a technology infrastructure that can support digital learning. If you have students who are not ready to return to that face-to-face -face environment, then create an environment where they can learn from home, where there aren't these issues of equity and access to Wi-Fi, where they have computers that they can access. And so I know that that's always very sticky when you're dealing with federal funding, but being able to create spaces and build the infrastructure is going to matter. And it's especially going to matter moving forward, because as we said, you know, this virus is transforming and who knows if a more aggressive variant will come out and create a situation where we once again need to return to this type of learning environment. And if we do, let us be more prepared. Yep. Agreed. Uh, and I Amen. Also and I would also add again, accountability. And so if we are going to be allocating federal funds to the state, um, and we need to make sure that the state is not being partial where those funds are sent. We would need to make sure that um, the funds that are sent by the federal government are not just staying in the Republican side of town and you know leaving the Democrats lagging or, or vice versa. So again, accountability is critical, even at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then when we talk about accountability at the federal level, the federal level needs to hold school systems uh, accountable. Uh, what we saw in the last presidential administration was the, the president of the United States intervening uh, by saying, hey, we're going to cut funding for this, that, and the other if you don't open, if you don't reopen. Well, in, in the same way that, um, you know, in the same way that on the, that the federal level can, can flex its muscles, if you will, 
And I, I like to see that done in a more constructive way uh, right now. And it needs to happen right now. Um, and there's, there needs to be funding also that is dedicated to the teacher development of all things. Um, one of the things that caught us off guard, in my opinion, uh, for the pandemic is that the, the teaching models, um, the, the, the traditional teaching models did not adequately prepare us. And we didn't know. We, we, we had no way of knowing that a pandemic was going to come. But the, the current teaching models didn't fit the need um, that was that didn't fit the, the, the demand for the need that to teach online and to teach virtually. And so we need to increase funding, in my opinion, to um, to 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 uh, re uh, what do you say um, to to reframe uh, certain different the various teaching models. Uh, more research needs to go into curriculum planning, curriculum development. And all of those things can be done from the federal level. Finally, as we get ready to close out, I want to get your um, your opinion. I've talked to several parents about how they felt about standardized tests. What is what is your perspective on standardized testing, especially in the wake of you know children are graduating, they want to get into schools, um, they want to be promoted to the next grade level, and so uh, uh, many of those criteria are based on the results of standardized tests. What 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 can we do? Uh, you know, and what has been the impact? Number one, because of the pandemic, and what can we do to mitigate um, the fallout? Uh, from standardized tests. You guys say what? I might have the, the unpopular opinion, but I think that standardized tests need to be paused for a moment while students are learning and um, reacclimating themselves to in-person learning. So that's my thought. Maybe just put a pause on standardized tests for a year while we transition back to face-to-face -face learning and students kind of recoup some of the learning loss that they have experienced from the pandemic. But are we are we adequately evaluating kids to talk about moving to the next school level, the next grade level, if we don't have some form of testing or evaluation? So I think that there's you, something you can't have some... about moving. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Dr. Strong Green, and then, then, then Reverend Grant. So I think there's something to be said about using matrix approaches. Uh, matrices can can let you know a variety of things, right? And so I, I work at an open access institution and I think that makes very clear what my belief about standardized testing is. I just, I find it completely pointless. You cannot tell a student that they are or aren't college ready based off of their ability to pass a single placement test in reading. Exactly. I think that you can look at their reading scores. You can also look at, you know, how long they're willing to work on a project and potentially not see a result. And that that tells you just as much about the student's ability to succeed in college as that test will. And so I think as we begin to look at this, yes, you know, use that as an, a, a way of gauging whether or not a student is ready to move forward, but it cannot be the only way. Like, I mean, I work in distance education and one of the things that we celebrate is you know, making content accessible and a universal design and learning. And so course design and course development are two different things. Designing a system where multiple people can succeed is one thing and then developing the materials for that, which is all of the stuff we're saying about equity really matters. But 
being able to say, you know, here are a combination of things that we're going to use to assess whether you're ready to move forward in the next level. And if you can meet the criteria of X, Y, and Z within these things, then you're ready to move forward. Even if you fail on one or two of them is a much smarter and I think a more inclusive approach to helping students succeed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Reverend Grant. Right. I was going to agree with uh, Dr. Lewis in saying that we need to put a pause on the standardized tests for a while um, uh, until the students can get back in the classroom and, and, and get back into that mode of studying, that mode of learning um, that we're all familiar with. Um, I think for them to be taking standardized tests right now, it's, it's too much pressure for them. They are already experiencing pressure as it is. And so to put that additional uh, stress of, you know, passing the standardized test, if you get a certain score, if you don't get a, a certain score, you know, it's just too much pressure on our young people right now. They don't need that. Right now, they just need to recuperate and survive this pandemic. You know, Dr. Grant, you actually bring up another really important point in my mind. I love education. I don't ever want to do anything else. But I often thought to myself, especially in the area that I live in, which is experienced a population boom, that if I tried another career, it would be opening up a, a daycare. <laughs> and I've sort of shifted in the post-pandemic mentality away from I should start a preschool into I should start a proctoring service. Because I think if we continue to take the standardized testing approach while people are working from home, that those tests are going to require proctors in order to ensure um, the integrity of the exam and creating a, an infrastructure where we focus on making sure that the, the exams are secure, it's just a waste of our resource right now. Like there are other more important things to deal with and it just creates an additional stress. So as you're talking about taking care of their emotional needs, let us not waste resources building proctoring systems for these tests when we could be, you know, taking care of actual students. Right, 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 right. Right. Well, um, I right. thank you for, um, for joining us tonight. Um, I see uh, Dr. Lewis had to drop off with um, her opinion was, I'm, I'm pretty sure she probably confer, concurs with each of you, especially when it comes to the use of, um, of standardized tests. My concern is that um, because of the pandemic and because um, if we don't use standardized testing, and I do get your point, uh, Dr. Strong Green, about the use of standardized tests, how are we going to effectively evaluate um, where our children are and where and, and when we talk about remediation, although we won't call it remediation, um, you know, which direction uh, will we uh, will we take our kids in? And so it's, it's an ongoing discussion uh, right now. The hot topic is should we mask or should we not mask, which I feel, um, you know, that's a conversation that I think school systems probably need to be more focused on uh, equity. As you mentioned, uh, Dr. Strong Green, we need to be more uh, be more focused on holding um, holding school systems and elected officials accountable. As you said, Reverend Grant, uh, as opposed to um, you know what's, whether you put on a mask or not. In six months, um, as our um, as our vaccinations begin to wear off, and we are all in need of a booster shot, um, I mean, we probably need to. We're going to have to put the mask back on anyway. So <laughs> I just feel like, you know, we, we, we need to dedicate our time 
to talking about other more important things when it comes to education. But I want to thank everybody. Uh, I thank you guys for being a part of this discussion. We will resume our conversation in the fall uh, at school, as which I'm sure uh, is going to be more controversy as the kids get ready to go back to school from the summer. And we're going to keep talking about, you know, uh, the status of education and still be talking about it in the wake of, of COVID-19. So in the meantime, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, and as we leave you, I leave you all with those uh, famous words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, that whatever affects one of us directly affects us all indirectly. Thank you, everyone, and good night. Welcome to Perspectives On where we're giving the world a voice. We are a faith-based social justice forum where individuals give their perspectives on various topics. It's an opportunity to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on justice issues affecting the community and globally. Each episode features guests presenting their perspective on things like climate change, the church, urban farming, and food insecurity, all through a unique faith lens. Come check us out. Give us your